First, I'd like to introduce you guys to our speaker today, uh, who is Musa. So would you uh, warmly welcome him up? Hey, everyone. Hi, Musa. I think some people here might not know who you are, so would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe what you do at the EU and the thing that you like to do most in your spare time? Um, I'm one of the senior staff here at, uh, the, um, with the EU. Um, I have a particular passion to talk to Muslims on, uh, around the campus and uh, to get Christians talking to Muslims. So if you're interested in kind of exploring that with me, that would be great. You can come and talk to me about that later. Uh, in my spare time, I particularly uh, love to fish. If I can get the time to go out and do some fishing, I will do that, uh, particularly <laughs> off on a boat way out shore. Um, that would be fantastic. Uh, the other thing I like to do, um, which is a little bit more accessible, is uh, ride my bike. Cool. Mm. Um, and I didn't prepare you for another question, but uh, what did you study at university? Where did you study? And what was the sort of main highlight of your uni time? OK, I studied um, electrical engineering and computer science at <laughs> and, um And <laughs> wasn't here. Um, <laughs> um, so what was the other? Uh, what was the main <laughs> highlight of your university experience? Yeah. Um, I think the, the main highlight for me was actually um, uh, just delving deeper in, into the Bible. I, we re I regularly joke with, my, with our children. My wife and I both kind of met at the Christian group on campus. And we regularly joke that we had done our degrees in um, like EU rather than um, in the other ones, um, because we just benefited so much, and it actually benefited us for so long, much, much, much further than what our university degree. So I, I'll leave that one with you, and I hope you actually had the same experience yourselves. Great. Thanks, Musa. Um, Musa will come back in a minute uh, to uh, read from God's Word and um, to preach for us. I'm now going to be reading from God's Word. So something that um, Christians do uh, often in our time together is we read from the Scripture, which we believe um, is God's Word um, proclaimed to us, um, yeah, authentically um, and divinely. And so I'll be reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 32. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm not actually a big fan of going to uh, the doctor. Um, I don't know many people that are, although I've been asking the question. Hands up if you are a fan, um, and there's always hands that do go up. There's always people who like going to the doctor, yet. Um, like my mum, she has the doctor on speed dial um, and just likes going there for whatever reason. Um, she's a bit of a hypochondriac. But I'm, I'm really, I avoid it at great cost, but of course, I will go to a doctor when the pain becomes unbearable or if I feel like I'm at death's door, I will tend to go uh, to a doctor. But I think most of us uh, are well aware of the fact that just because I don't feel like going to the doctor doesn't mean I don't need one. A number of years ago, I was with a work colleague and uh, he started to get headaches and um, you know, he kept on taking Panadol, didn't want to go to a doctor. The, the the headaches developed after a while, he got blurred vision and everyone's gone, I think you should go. And eventually, reluctantly went and the next day he was in surgery, getting an operation to remove a tennis ball-sized cancer from his brain. Our self-diagnosis of our situation can be horribly wrong. We can get it fatally wrong. Now, Christians call Jesus the doctor of the soul or the physician of the soul. And this comes to us really from this part of the Bible that we just had read out to us from Luke's Gospel, um, where Jesus, in fact, gives his diagnosis of the greatest problem that we have as human beings. And not only the diagnosis, but also the solution, the cure uh, to the problem that we all desperately need, whether we realise it or not. Now, if you had been working your way through Luke's Gospel, you've been reading it, you would start to see two main things emerge from uh, the story of Jesus about who uh, Jesus is. The first is, we're told that Jesus has been chosen by God to set up a kingdom that would be perfect, that would be free from sickness, pain, suffering, and death and evil. A perfect kingdom that would last forever. And Jesus has actually been trying to point out that he is the king of that kingdom, that everlasting kingdom of God. The second is that Jesus is calling people who are living in a broken world that's full of sickness, pain, suffering and death, um, and who are themselves broken. That is, they themselves have been actually enslaved by this sickness, pain, uh, suffering, evil and death. He's calling on them to follow him as a king into that perfect kingdom that he is establishing uh, for, for everyone. And I want to say quite bluntly that this is the reason that it's good news for us today, that what Jesus said and did 2,000 years ago still is good news for us today because every day we are confronted by the harsh realities of living in a fallen and broken world. When you flick on the news at night, and I encourage you to flick on the world news, um, preferably on SBS or something like that, and you'll get a 
bigger picture of what is going on in the world rather than stories full of celebrities and what have you. But in there, you'll, you'll be confronted with the harsh uh, news of evil and pain and suffering all over the world. Fifty children every day are dying of starvation in Yemen because of a man-made famine. The same situation is occurring in Sudan. You've got the pictures of, of babies starving to death, which are really awful and confronting. Um, there are atrocities taking place right across uh, Africa. Men, madmen in power who can just press a button and nuclear bombs go off somewhere. It is terrifying. There are kidnappings of young girls in Africa. There's slavery. There's rape. There's murders. There's crime. There's poverty. We could go on and on about all the troubles that are there in the world around us. Every night, you can watch it on the news. Every night. And I'm sure, if you're like me, when you see it, Every fibre in your body screams out, this is not right. It shouldn't be this way. This is not what the world is meant to be like. And in fact, the Bible would tell us that these things are actually meant to save up, save, serve as wake-up calls to all of us. That if we're not happy with what's going on, then imagine how much more God is not happy with the situation about and he will do something about it soon. My friends, it's not just the world news, though. You can watch the domestic news and get very similar stories. It's not we're talking about the world out there, but Australia has the same situation going on around it. There's domestic violence, there's organised crime, there's gangs, there's abuse of children, abuse of the vulnerable. Um, it's all there on the news for what's happening in Australia. And in fact, I want to suggest that it's so much a part of our world that we tend to regulate our lives around the fact that we expect it, don't we? Every morning when I leave home, I lock the door. The other day, I had that awful feeling, did I lock it? Do you have that feeling? And I had to go home to check whether I had locked it or not. And why? Because we expect evil to take place. If there's opportunity, that things will go wrong. I like riding my bike to uni, but I have not done it this year because I don't have a good enough lock system because at the beginning of the year I heard stories of bikes that had gone stolen. We expect people to steal. We expect people to break the law. If we go on about all the, the laws that need to be made in Australia and all the policies that we have because we expect people to try to bend and steer their way around the law, to, to do what is not meant to be done. But it's not just people out there. The Bible tells us that the problem is actually within each one of us. People mess things up. That's why the world is in the mess it is. It's not just random people out there. It's all of us are contributing to the mess and the brokenness of this world. We've got a saying to kind of back that up. I'm only human, after all. In fact, there's a song. Um, I'm not perfect. I get things wrong. And some of us know all too well how badly we can stuff things up for ourselves and for the loved ones around us. But the point is that we all have broken lives that need fixing. You may not feel that it's terribly broken at the moment, but you will. It's true. And that is why the story of Jesus is such good news 
for us, all of us, today. Jesus just doesn't claim to be the king of this perfect new world that he's setting up, uh, but he actually powerfully demonstrates to us that he is. He shows us that he can do it and he's doing it. He just speaks a word. As you go through the gospel, he just speaks a word and, and thinks. With a word, he heals the sick, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the lame walk. With a word, he has power over nature that sees him calm a raging storm. With a word, he casts out evil spirit. He has power over people, over nature, over the the spiritual world. And with a word, he can even raise the dead. He has power over death. People have been captivated by Jesus in the story that we read in Luke's gospel because his word is powerful and so much so that they're flocking from all over Jerusalem and Judea and all of Israel to hear and see him in action. And I dare say that I'd predicted that if Jesus, instead of coming 2,000 years ago, he came today and started doing half of the things that we read about him doing, I would think that most of us would be intrigued enough to want to go and see him. I certainly would. And I know that I'd be taking my son, who has autism, with me. I'd be taking my sister, who's got terminal cancer, with me. Because there is someone out there who could fix the problems of the world and get things right, then we would go to him. And we'd want to take from him what he had to offer us and we would want to pay careful attention to what he had to say to us, what he's on about in the world. It's not too hard to see the kind of hype that is surrounding Jesus as you work your way through the New Testament. That's what we see in Luke's, Luke chapter 5. So we're, we're picking it up from Luke chapter 5, verse 17, where we see this hype taking place. Jesus is teaching the, the regions, the villages um, there, and what we see is people from everywhere, all over uh, Israel, coming uh, to hear Jesus. And what we're told is also some religious bigwigs are there who are there to, to investigate Jesus. They don't like Jesus, they don't like his popularity, but they're there. They want to check him out, they want to make sure uh, what he's on about. Um, all this to say that when the New Testament is recording stuff for us, it's not. Jesus didn't operate in a vacuum. He didn't operate in the dark corner of the world where he may have done something and then the stories get blown out or whatever. This is public displays of his power and his ability in front of enemies who can say otherwise, but they couldn't. This story that we're looking at has lots of people around it. And what we're told at the end of verse 17 is directing us somewhere. At the end of verse 17, we're told, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So Luke, at this point of the story, is actually wanting us to think healing, um, powerful healing, amazing healing. So when we hear about this paralyzed man uh, in the next couple of verses, as his friends are trying to bring him to Jesus, we're thinking powerful, amazing healing. That's Luke trying to set us up really, for the story. The paralyzed man, we're told, is brought by four friends uh, on a stretcher. Uh, Whether he's quadriplegic or paraplegic, we're not really sure, uh, but he can't use his legs. They can't get to Jesus. 
They can't get through the door because of the, the, the crowd. So desperate times call for desperate measures. We're told that they go up onto the roof. How they get up there, we're not sure. But he get, they get up onto the roof and they make a hole in it. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that they dug through the roof. So we're not just talking about pulling out a few loose tiles to get to the paralyzed man through the roof, but digging through the roof. Damage was done in order to get this man to Jesus. And I always imagine being the owner of the house. He probably was very chuffed at the, up until that point, um, having Jesus honor his house with his presence up to that point. <laughs> and I'd be going to Jesus going, I know you can fix people, can you fix roofs too? <laughs> anyway, having dug through the... The, the roof, uh, the friends carefully, they would have to be careful, notice, they carefully kind of lower him down till he get. that's probably the first miracle that he managed to get down there, right in front of Jesus. Um, and he's there now, we're told, right in front of, uh, of Jesus. Uh, we're told that Jesus at this point can see the, me- the men's faith, the friends' faith. You think, oh, that's a bit of a funny kind of saying, but it's actually... Not too hard to to understand because I think anybody could have seen uh, that they had faith in Jesus at that point because you're not going to carry your friend a long way. You're not going to go to the effort of getting up onto a roof, digging through a roof, lowering all that effort if you didn't believe that Jesus could heal or that he would heal, would you? You wouldn't do it otherwise. So their faith is, is transparent. It's obvious for all to see. They trusted that Jesus could and would heal their friend. Now, we've only gone through a couple of verses, and I want you to see how cleverly uh, this story is built up for us. You've got verse 17, the power of the Lord is there present to heal. You've got the desperations of the friend clearly coming out in the next verse to get the man to Jesus. The dramatic lowering down. Um, um, and they've interrupted Jesus while he's in full-on teaching mode, we're told. And uh, so much so now, what we have is the paralysed man right in front of Jesus, centre stage. Everybody's attention would have been on Jesus and the paralysed man and the next obvious thing that Jesus ought to be doing. Remember, we've been set up for this point. And so you can imagine how, like a bomb going off, the next statement that comes out of Jesus' lips is when they... And they see him in verse 20. He says to the paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. It's a bit outdated now, but um, I've always imagined, you know, those full-on party scenes that you see and everyone's around, milling around, loud noise everywhere, and then suddenly you hear that record scratching noise as the music stopped and the record is scratched. And everyone's, what? What's going on? That's what I imagine the scene to be like at the moment. Um, a number of years ago, I, uh, I took my auntie, um, who had been, who'd come from Syria uh, to visit to Australia, and I wanted to show her some spectacular thing that was going on in Sydney. And one of the things that I decided to do was New Year's Day. I thought, well, we'll go see the fireworks. We did, she didn't really want to go into the city into a the millions of people there. So we decided to go to Brighton Le Sands where they've got this wonderful fireworks display. Goes for about 10 to 15 minutes. And I thought, fantastic, we go down there. There's lots of people on the shore. You get right up to the shore and you can see it. Fantastic. Countdown starts to happen. 10, 9, 8, gets down to zero. 
Happy New Year, everyone's shouting, and then we're waiting for the fireworks to go off. There's sparkle, fizz, and then one solitary fireball goes up into the air, and I'm thinking, this is it, auntie, and, and then it just dies. <laughs> and I'm there going, just wait. <laughs> and then everyone's kind of waiting. A minute goes by, everyone starts murmuring, what's going on, I'm not sure. It's usually better than this, Arnie. Um, <laughs> and then three minutes later, and everyone starts to shuffle away with loud murmurings going on. Apparently, the, the wind was way too strong uh, for that night, and there was going to be no fireworks display that night. Everyone was expecting fireworks. What a fizzer. What a letdown. And I could well imagine that was the feeling <laughs> that the friends probably thought as they're lowering this friend down, and they hear these words from Jesus going, friend, your sins are forgiven. And they're going, what? Look at his legs. Look at what we've done. We didn't come here for this. We came here for powerful, they expected fireworks, and they got... Now, the problem with your sins are forgiving is there's nothing to show for it, is there? There's no spectacle with your sins are forgiven. And I do say that if Jesus had left it at that, it would have been a major fizzer, a major fizzer, not just for the friends, but all of them, especially for the man who's lying on the mat. Now, this is the problem that we have as humans, is that we tend to misdiagnose where the real problem lies and therefore where the real wonder is. We look at a paralysed man and we diagnose that his greatest need is to be able to walk again, as you would. But Jesus is pointing out through this paralysed man what humanity's greatest need actually is. The paralysed man and our greatest need is not to be healthy. It's not for my son to be free of autism or my sister to be free of cancer or for us to have money or my friend who is, uh, has a real tough time uh, at the moment or an education or a relationship, or to have fun. It's not even food or water or even the air that we breathe. What we need more than anything else is forgiveness. Forgiveness, because the greatest problem that we have is not that we're disabled, or not that we've got whatever it is, or not that I've yet to get that degree, or I don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or more than anything, our greatest problem is sin that we have done wrong to each other, that we have done wrong, that we failed to live up, and when I speak to most people, most of us would admit we failed to live up to our own standards. I do things that I don't want to do with my family, with my friends, with myself. I set myself goals, I can't even achieve them. But more than that, We've done wrong in God's sight. We've not lived up to his standards. And the problem is, we're told, that judgment day is coming because God is not happy to leave the world in the mess it's in. God promises that he's going to come and fix up all of the mess, create a new heavens and a new earth. And he says that there will be no one who can enter into it who themselves are broken. 
That is why we desperately need forgiveness. We need to be fixed up ourselves if we're going to enter in. Money, health, food, all these other things are useful for this lifetime. Very helpful for us in the here and there. But that's such a short time in comparison to the eternity that faces us. Forgiveness, forgiveness gives us eternal life with all of these other things thrown into boot as well because it will be a perfect world. A little while ago I heard a, a preacher um, talking about this story and he said to us, imagine if the paralysed man, uh, the story of the paralysed man ended here at Friends, Your Sins Are Forgiven. Not, not, the rest of the story didn't go on. Could you imagine it? Friends would have to pull this man back up through the roof after about five minutes, you know, waiting desperately for Jesus to do something. And they'd pull him back up through the roof and then they'd have to carry him on that long journey home. And could you imagine the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years for the paralyzed man as he regularly gets an appearance when someone decides to pick him up and take him out into the lounge room and celebrate with the rest of the family or if they decide to take him out on the street so he could beg. Every day he's probably sitting there or lying there, miserable, grumpy, thinking, why didn't Jesus heal my legs? He seemed to heal everyone else's, but he didn't heal my legs. Forty years goes by, eventually he dies. And then suddenly he finds himself walking towards heaven's gates. And he gets there and he says to the guy at the gate, it's amazing, I'm walking, but this place is simply incredible. But I don't think I deserve to get in. And the guy looks through his books and he says, well, that may be the case, sir. He goes, well, I've been a miserable git for the last 30, 40 years. You wouldn't believe the kinds of things that I've muttered under my breath, even against Jesus. He said, well, that may be the case, but it says here, your sins are forgiven. And that means you're allowed to in. So he goes in. Imagine 3,000 years later, because I'm saying 3,000 years later, because it means that some of us, hopefully, will be there in heaven. And imagine we see the paralyzed man walking. And we think, oh, that's the paralyzed man in the story that we just had read to us. <laughs> and, and he's walking to Jesus. And we go, oh, let's, let's hear what he's got to say. And we creep up and we're eavesdropping on the conversation between him and Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I just wanted to say thank you. I didn't realize what you had given me. Every day of those 40 years I had on earth, I was miserable. But I cannot believe I didn't realize that you had given me up until I entered into this space. And every day since then, I have been so thankful. Little did I know how precious that gift was to me. Friends, Jesus is trying to teach us through this story that forgiveness is our greatest need. And I hope you can grasp how valuable a gift it is. Well, we need to move on in the story. Verse 17, we're told that a lot of the religious bigwigs have come to hear Jesus and they're outraged by what Jesus says. And they ask a question. In a sense, it's the right question because it's leading us to this point. In verse 21, they object. Who is this who speaks such blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, if afterwards, um, at the end of, uh, everyone shuffles out of this room and I noticed uh, that Isa has left her purse behind and I think I should grab that for her and then I decide, no, I'm going to pocket it 
and I decide to take it out and, and then spend everything that's in it and then use the credit cards and just go to my heart's content. But come night time, I feel guilty. And I'm lying there in bed with my wife and I say to her, look, I, I stole this girl's wallet and I, I really feel guilty. And, and she says to me, look, so it's late at night, don't worry about it, I forgive you. And I go, oh, thank you. <laughs> and I roll over and go to bed, um, feeling all happy. And you go, that doesn't quite work because only Isa can forgive you. No one else can forgive the sin that you've done against someone else, you see? And you go, that's exactly the point. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Only God is able to forgive the sins that we do against him. So the Pharisees are quite right in their question. Who does Jesus think he is? God or something? Because only God has that authority, that right, that power to forgive sins. So the question really is for us now, can Jesus dish out forgiveness in the way that he's said that he can? Who is he to be able to dish out this kind of forgiveness? So Jesus' answer uh, comes in verse 23, and it's kind of like, here's a question for you. Um, See if you can answer this. He says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? A little bit tricky, not too difficult to answer the question, but it is a bit tricky because on the one hand, they're both equally difficult to do. In fact, impossible to do. I can't forgive sins because I'm not God. But the second thing is I can't walk around to people. As much as I would love to have this gift, I can't walk to people who are paralysed and say, rise, get up and walk. Um, Even doctors would love to have that kind of a gift, but they don't. Now, when it comes to forgiveness of sins, like I said before, where's the proof for the man that his sins are forgiven? There's no proof because there's nothing to show for forgiveness. But to show that Jesus can forgive, that he has that power to dish out forgiveness, and the Pharisees are wrong in alleging what they're saying, that he does the other impossible thing, which is verse 25, looks at the man, tells him, get up, take up your mat and walk home. What happens? Very next verse perfect obedience to the word of Jesus. The man gets up, takes up what he's lying on and walks home. Everyone goes nuts. Wow, we've never seen things like this take place. But Jesus does it to prove that he can do that greater miracle of forgiveness. And it's the greatest miracle that can ever happen to everyone that we really ought to be going nuts over. And really what we see here, I want you to see, is this whole episode's been masterfully choreographed for us. You know, you've got the crowd, the theological experts. You've got the drama of the lowing, the speaking of the words, your, your sins are forgiven when everyone is expecting a miracle. Um, so that Jesus could show us what our greatest need really is, that he alone can meet that greatest need of forgiving our sins because of who he is that he is the divine son of God come to earth who is able to forgive and offer us the greatest thing that we need. Now, I want to say, this is really what separates Jesus from the rest of the pack when it comes to world religions and world rulers and religious rulers. You can't go to Buddha or Muhammad or anyone else 
in order to get forgiveness for your sins and entry into that perfect world. You can't do it. Jesus alone has the authority and the power to forgive your sins. And you ought to know that Jesus not only has the power, but is dying to do it for you. In fact, he did die because he really wants you to receive that gift of forgiveness. You know in the story, the paralyzed man never asked for it, but that's what Jesus gave him. But some of you might be thinking, that's, it's hard to see how the paralyzed man had major sin in his life. I mean, he could hardly do anything. Like, it's not like he was robbing banks and stuff like that. What about if you've got real major sin in your life? Does Jesus still offer it for you? Well, this is where the next story comes into play. Straight after this incident with the paralyzed man, verse 27, Jesus meets a tax collector whose name is Levi, and surprisingly, he calls on him to follow Jesus, to follow him. For the Jews at the time, remember, tax collectors uh, were the lowest of the lows. They were like capitalist sinners, big, big sinners, because they were traitors. They had sold out their own countrymen, taking from the poor in order to give to the rich Roman overlords, the enemies of the Jews. And Levi is one of those tax collectors, big capitalist sinner, but he becomes a follower of Jesus. And to make things worse, he throws a party and invites all his friends to meet Jesus. Who comes? Well, thank you. All the sinners and tax collectors come and have dinner with Jesus. And the Pharisees come and say, hang on a minute, why would you, Jesus, a righteous man, want to eat with people like that, with tax collectors and sinners? And for once, the Pharisees actually didn't get it wrong. They got the diagnosis right about Levi and his friends. And notice that Jesus doesn't say to, to these Pharisees, and say, hey, it's a problem with you guys, you, you misjudge these people, you always get it wrong. He doesn't say that. You don't know them. They're really good on the inside. He doesn't say that either. He says to them, have a look, verse 31, 32, that's precisely why I'm hanging out with them, because they're sinners. Have a look at verse 31, 32 with me. We'll read it together. It's very important. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <coughs> Friends, Jesus target group as sinners. Sinners. People who do bad things, who, who've stuffed up their lives, who've got it wrong. That's who Jesus came for. They are his focus of attention. The implication here is if you're not a sinner, you don't fit into that category, then you don't need Jesus. If you're not a sinner, then you don't need forgiveness, obviously, and you don't need forgiveness, then you won't need Jesus. And so you have to ask the question, do you need Jesus? Now, Christians are those who say, yes, I need Jesus and I want to follow Jesus. What does that mean? That means they're saying, yes, I am a sinner. I'm not perfect. I've got things horribly wrong in my life and I need forgiveness. That's why I'm a Christian. They're not trying to make themselves out as righteous. And so the question really is, are you, do you think you're okay? Do you think you're righteous? Or are you a sinner and therefore need a saviour? 
Now, it's clear that the Pharisees don't see themselves as sinners. They have diagnosed themselves as being righteous. And that is why they don't go to Jesus. Because they don't think they need him. But if you misdiagnose yourself, then you won't see that the greatest need is forgiveness. And you won't see how desperately you need Jesus. And I'm hoping, friends, that you can see that you do desperately need Jesus. But you need to realise what Jesus is calling to. Verse 32, Jesus has come to call sinners to repentance. Because true forgiveness is about fixing up a relationship. Forgiveness needs to lead to change so that the relationship can work. Otherwise, there's no point in the forgiveness. And Jesus is on about having a real fair income relationship with you. That's what repentance is all about. It's turning away from the kinds of life that I used to live in order to make this relationship with Jesus work. Jesus is happy to take you as you are, so the saying goes. He's just not happy to leave you as you are. He wants to change you for the better. But you should also know that there's great joy in this. Lots of people think, oh, how terrifying, how depressing that would be. But no, there is great joy in following Jesus. Um, That's what you see with Levi. What does he do? He wants to throw a party. He thinks it's fantastic to follow Jesus, to get this offer of forgiveness. And that's why he wants everyone, his friends, to come. And they're at a party with great joy because of Jesus. That's the way Christians uh, see it too. We think there's great joy in following Jesus. Nothing could be better. But one last thing. Jesus came into the world to call sinners, bring forgiveness, to save them from the coming judgment and give them eternal life into that perfect world that he's creating for them. He did all this through his death on the cross because the whole story is pointing us to what is he going to do to achieve it. And the way that he does it is by coming and dying on the cross. He dies on the cross to bring forgiveness, to save us from our sins. That is, forgiveness doesn't come cheaply. You know that even in general. You don't just simply forgive people. It always costs you a bit. And the bigger the sin, the more it costs you to offer it. Forgiveness wasn't cheap for God. God didn't simply sweep the sins under the carpet and say, oh, it doesn't matter. They're irrelevant. God's justice demands that sin be dealt with, that it's punished. And on the cross, that's what Jesus was doing. He was taking the justice, the punishment of God, so that we could be forgiven. He was dying so that we wouldn't have to die. He was dying instead of us. We didn't ask for it, just like the man, but Jesus gave it to us anyway. It shows how much God loves us. To say you're not a sinner, forgiveness really, Uh, that you don't need forgiveness, is to say that when Jesus died, he didn't die for me. Thanks, Jesus, but no thanks. I don't need it. That's what you're saying. But Jesus obviously does think that you do need it because he died for you so that you could receive it. I don't know what you think your greatest need is. I'm not a mind reader, but the Bible tells us that your greatest need is forgiveness because we're all sinners. And whether we're little sinners or big sinners is irrelevant. We're sinners. And therefore, what we need is forgiveness. And the good news is, friends, there is nothing 
nothing that Jesus isn't willing to forgive. Nothing. I know what you're sitting there thinking in your head, but I know for myself all those things that I've ever done, all those words that I've said that I now deeply regret, all the things that I have uh, planned to do and didn't do that cost my family and cost friends, they're all done away with by Jesus. Jesus forgives it all and he died to forgive it all. So why not come to Jesus and have your greatest need met and receive forgiveness today? You can do that. Why not, if you're not sure, investigate a little bit more? Tick the box on the feedback uh, cards that you filled out. Just tick it and say, I want to investigate Jesus more. Write a comment down the bottom and say, I'd love to talk to someone and we would love to talk to you about it. Thanks, Isa. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you promise us hope in a world that seems so broken. Father, we thank you that through Jesus, um, you have revealed and diagnosed our real need of forgiveness, not of healing sickness, not of relationships, not of earthly things, um, but of forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you love those who are sinners, the outcasts, the rejected, the sick, and the foreigners, and that no matter who we are, we can approach you and receive this great gift. Uh, Lord, help us to repent. Help us to consider whether we think we need Jesus, Lord, and um, whether we are willing to approach and um, accept that gift of forgiveness. Uh, Lord, be helping us to think about the joy that it is to follow you, um, the great um, joy not just on earth and not just the hope that we experience on earth, Lord, but um, the great uh, promise that we have that we uh, would meet you um, on the final day after death. Um, Lord, we thank you that um, through Jesus, um, that Jesus died for our forgiveness even when we didn't ask for it and even when we didn't know that we needed it. Um, and Lord, I pray that this is something that we wouldn't take lightly, but something, yeah, that we would really think on, ponder on and dwell in our hearts as, um, yeah, we think about the brokenness of this world. Um, but Father, ultimately, we just thank you for the gift of your son um, and that on the cross, um, yeah, he fixed that relationship and allowed us to be in a perfect relationship with the creator of our universe. And we pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Hope to see you next week.